Welcome to Unforgotten Conversations. In this episode, we explore the spiritual well-being of older veterans, why it matters and who can support it. We talk to Reverend Phil Patterson of Veterans Chaplaincy Scotland and Richard Baker of charities Sight Scotland Veterans and Faith in Older People. We meet veterans Tom, who tells us how his Christian faith has helped him through life, and John, for whom yoga has been a lifeline. What do we mean by spirituality? I like to talk about what we mean by faith. Faith for me is that trust that we place in something that is outside of ourselves. Of course, for all of us in the Christian realm, that, that faith is in, is in God. Um, for others and for our veterans, it can be in all sorts of things. But we would, we would see in our human existence, we would see that we are a people of three different areas of existence, that we have a body, a mind and a spirit and that if we're to speak about being a whole person we need to have health in both body mind and spirit and while we have lots of physical uh, therapies and lots of mental health therapies one of the things we often forget about is the spiritual side of life and um, one of our aims with veterans chaplaincy is to bring care into that realm into the spiritual realm and help folk understand the emotional and the moral side of life through um, engaging in spiritual things. And are there particular aspects of, of the experience of someone who served in the armed forces that uh, this focus of supporting someone with faith and spiritual matters can assist with? For all of us who've served in the, in the forces, we, we're obviously faced with um, the whole idea of human mortality um, brought home to us. Um, every soldier, sailor and airman deals with the possibility of having to sacrifice their own lives for what we would often say is a greater cause. And so um, my experience of speaking to soldiers in service is that they have come to terms with life and death issues. Um, and often the conversation um, around spiritual things is much more um, informed than it would be. In, in, in civilian life because they thought about these things um, and I think with veterans as well there's that sense in which there is uh, you know we know what life and death is we know um, how to speak about those things and how to talk about those things and there's an openness that there maybe wouldn't be amongst others. And Richard later life can bring changes to to someone's interest in in their, their faith or their, their spiritual well-being. So, so what might be the changes that can also come with someone getting older? When people are older, they perhaps want to spend more time reflecting on their faith. They want to spend more time reflecting on spirit, their spiritual life more broadly. In the veterans community, I do have that strong impression uh, of just how much people's faith and beliefs have mattered to them while they're in service uh, and mattered to them after their service as well. Too often we're thinking, I think still, about only focusing on people's physical needs later in life and not enough still about their spiritual needs, their belief needs, and that they can continue that, whatever care setting they're in, 
whatever other activities are doing that we're just conscious that they should need to be able to be linked to the faith communities and spiritual communities which are important to them and we still think we've got a lot of work to do from that and that's what one of the, the key aspects of of faith in older people's work as well so thinking about specific issues that can affect people who are maybe involved in, in a combat situation and perhaps involved in very traumatic and difficult events. Phil, I know that there's an interest that you have in Veterans Chaplaincy Scotland with moral injury. Could you tell us a bit about that, please? I think what I would say is that there, there's a, a difference between post-traumatic stress and moral injury, in that moral injury tends to be something that is suffered throughout life post-traumatic stress tends to come to head at one point and you know, is, is, is therefore um, uh, subject to, to a mental health intervention. But moral injury ebbs and flows throughout life. And whenever we're faced with an issue that we're struggling with, or whenever something is happening in the world that we are angry about, or that there is a feel a sense of betrayal about, um, moral injury uh, reaches a, you know, comes, ebbs and flows and increases at those moments when we feel that kind of pressure and stress upon us. I think moral injury is a, is a massive issue at the moment with COVID, um, with the increase in isolation, with the services that we would feel that we should have access to not being accessible, um, folk dealing with things on their own without the kind of support. Um, when you're on your own, um, and you're used to having comrades and folk around you who share your mindset and suddenly that's you're not able to be there with them when they're not able to be there for you and you know zoom's wonderful but it's it doesn't it doesn't really meet the gap or fill the gap um i think the potential for moral injury for those um moral emotions to be compromised and challenged in the midst of this is, is massive and the symptoms to moral injury are very similar to post-traumatic stress and there's been an awful lot of work done in the States, especially uh, to look at the context in which trauma occurs with veterans. Um, and they've now got to a stage where they realize that unless they treat the moral context of the trauma first, then the interventions for mental health don't, aren't as successful. Um, and we all know that service happens within a particular moral context. You know, we're, we're told a certain set of values that we hold dear. And when we put those values into a combat situation and they fail us because of the, the situation that's around us, you know, the, the law of armed conflict and the rules of engagement and all these things that we're supposed to um, hold high up in our moral frame and agree to suddenly become compromised by a situation that happens on the ground. And that, uh, that um, injury that happens, that emotional injury that happens in that context can often be exacerbated and increased by other pressures throughout life. And I've spoken to veterans recently during lockdown on the phone through our phone service who, are, who have been reminded of events that happened 40, 50 years ago. And those events are coming back to their mind because the same emotions and the same morals are being compromised by the world situation today. How can Veterans Chaplaincy Scotland and perhaps other support organisations assist veterans who are, who are struggling uh, with issues such as uh, moral injury or perhaps other other deficits in their 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 faith and their spirituality in later life i, I think it has to be a, a as they say in the medical realm a multidisciplinary approach um, it has to be body soul and mind you know it, it can't just be 
uh, a mental health intervention or a physical intervention. It has to be the whole thing. So veterans chaplaincy brings that added context um, or that added uh, sphere, um, which sometimes isn't there. Um, we don't do it alone. We do it in partnership. Um, but specifically what we bring is that uh, sense of uh, an understanding, a language to the peace to veterans. You know, we speak a veteran's language. Um, we have been through similar experiences. One of the joys I've had on the phones during lockdown is uh, speaking to um, uh, some very recent Afghanistan veterans and some much older, um, including a few from National Service Days and a couple of older uh, World War II veterans. And the stories are exactly the same. Um, and I think that's that's a veterans are veterans, and I think that's something that that often uh, should be recognised. That the issues that one generation faces are the same, the emotions and the morals are the same, and I think it's important that that um, into that sphere some uh, form of spiritual uh, context is brought, and I think that's what chaplaincy does. It allows them to speak about those. It gives them space to speak about those emotions and that spirituality that isn't necessarily given by other agencies, but it has to be in partnership. People, as, as they get older, do they find it difficult or, or more easy to speak about spiritual matters? Um, what's the importance of having these conversations to people? As we know, isolation and loneliness can affect very many people. And we've spoken to hundreds of um, of people we support through Site Scotland veterans. And there is just no doubt that there's a huge impact uh, of loneliness and isolation amidst the pandemic. Uh, you know, I mean, the vast majority feel that their sight loss has made it a worse experience for them. Uh, the vast majority feel they've got a lot, so much less contact with other, with other people. Many are still not confident right now about going back out into community while social restrictions are in place. and. If you're blind, if you've got visual impairment, dealing with social distancing, one-way systems within supermarkets and things, it's just a total nightmare. So at these times, things like your faith, your belief system, and you've got a lot of time to spend on your own to think about those things, become even more important. A lot of the older people we work with and support are very willing to speak about their faith, speak about how important it is to them. And... and I think it's a fear sometimes that if you can't go to church physically anymore, if you can't, you know, go to other congregations, you can't meet with your, your faith groups, you worry about losing touch with it. You worry about being cut off from a really important part of your life. And that is why it's so important that all of us and whatever support activity, whatever care we provide, don't lose that, don't miss out on that. And, and think about how, what can we do, wherever, wherever area we're working in, to link up people, older people in particular, with their congregations, their faith communities, people who share their spirituality and faith with them, because that is something that we certainly know and we're being told all the time is really important for them. We've effectively privatised faith and made it something that is um, a personal thing, and therefore people won't, unless permission is given to speak about those things. I find as a, as a chaplain and um, among all forms of veterans, but particularly our older veterans, um, that when a chaplain is present, they'll come and speak. Um, and that often then is the time to open up about spiritual things. So the presence of a chaplain gives that permission. Whereas maybe we need to think about how we do that 
in the same way that we've done with mental health to, to, to kind of destigmatize the talking about spiritual things in, in, in a public space. Thinking about practical things that older veterans can do to look after their spiritual well-being, I'll come to each of you and ask what, what tips you might, might be able to offer. To re reach out and, and find support when you need it. Uh, and, and not be scared to ask for help. If you want to find support, it's there. There, there, are, there are whole ways to stay in touch with faith organizations, faith groups, spiritual groups, uh, and there are certainly a lot of organizations out there who want to help. Probably summed up in, in one word, and that's prayer. The amount of, of prayer resources that we've been involved with with Veterans Chaplaincy just in, in, over the long time period is, is, is quite something. I've been praying over the phone with folk lighting candles on the other side of the phone. Um, I've conducted a, a, a service over the phone for someone on the anniversary of, of a, a loved one's death. Um, I've um, I provided a regimental prayer for someone who wanted a regimental prayer to, to mark a particular occasion. Um, I've prayed with veterans over the phone. Um, it's amazing how many join in as we pray. Um, um, and it's, it's just, that for me has been a kind a revelation really is that the, 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 the folk are wanting that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, uh, and as I say, I, in one word, um, the way to, to make that connection is, is, is through prayer. So what can Veterans Chaplaincy Scotland offer those who don't have a Christian belief? We like to see ourselves as, as an extension, an extension of in-service chaplaincy, a continuation of the provision that's provided while uh, folk are serving. Um, and of course, service chaplaincy is um, a ministry of presence to those who, who have all faiths and none. Um, it's about giving the permission to speak um, and giving that space in which people can um, think about their spirituality. Um, it's not about one particular version. And Richard, from faith and older people's perspective, what is uh, available to support those who don't particularly hold a faith belief? Well, faith in older people is there for uh, older people of all faiths and no faith. Later in life, these are when we have more profound life-changing events than any other. You're more likely to suffer from bereavement, suffer from ill health, suffer from um, challenges to emotional well-being as well. And it's simply to say that for all of us, whatever our faith is, that we have to find that inner resolve, that strength uh, and that solace as well. Uh, from others uh, and from within ourselves to, to deal with these events and to and to make sense of them and to cope with that challenge. And Phil, Veterans Chaplaincy Scotland is a, is a fairly new organisation. So what are your, your plans for the future and particularly how you might support uh, veterans as, as we um, look forward, hopefully, to coming out of these pandemic lockdown measures and many people will be perhaps finding it difficult to, to readjust. Now that we've got some funding we're looking to recruit uh, some volunteer chaplains um, and uh, the idea is that we engage with agencies who are already supporting veterans the likes of, of Poppy Scotland and um, we've been on the ground already with street pastors uh, we're looking forward to working alongside our churches and faith groups um, and to provide chaplaincy uh, through other partners that we make. For me it's about a service of uh, presence, person and, and purpose. We want to be where veterans are, hopefully engaging with things like the veterans breakfasts and the, 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 the men's sheds and uh, listening posts and 
uh, and various other things like that and providing that kind of service. So, so we're there where veterans are. Uh, folk can come to us individually and there'll be a personal relationship with the chaplain. Um, and if you want to speak about things, then, then you, you, you know, you're able to do that in confidence, in confidentiality and informally. We're very much focusing on that spiritual healing, um, things like uh, shame, guilt, and forgiveness um, would be a, a purpose to what we bring into the lives of our veterans. Thousands of veterans in Scotland have been coming out of this pandemic and it'll take a massive toll on their mental well-being. It's important that older veterans who have a faith know that their veteran charity is there to help them sustain that and to be, and to be in touch with those faith communities. Faith brings hope. And hope is the thing that has been sadly missing in the midst of all the bad news we've had over the last year and more. And I think as, as the potential for bad news continues, faith should be more important and should become a priority in all our all of our lives because it is faith that ultimately generates the hope that will see us through. Former National Serviceman Tom tells us about the importance of faith in his life. I went for National Service when I was 18. It was 1953. We learned an awful lot about companionship, helping each other, finished up in Germany at Black Forest and was there for about 18 months. And we were split into groups of four, and we stayed in that four the whole time we were there. We really got to know each other. We were out in the exercises quite a lot, and we had to learn how to adapt to the terrain, how to defend it, how to attack other terrains. So how has faith helped you in your life, Tommy? I didn't become a Christian until I was 58. My first wife died. We married for about 30 odd years. Uh, actually, the girl I'm married to now, we stayed across the street from each other. And her husband dropped dead one night coming out of the factory. We went to the noon Baptist church. We have a time of prayer every morning and we do our reading at night and then have a time of prayer before we go to bed. Any problem we have, we bring it to the Lord and just leave it in his hands. I've got a reading from... Spurgeon, the morning reading and evening reading. I, I read in the morning and later does it at night. I've also got the Bible, the King James Bible on my phone and on my tablet. And we do a reading every day from that. The Christian life has really changed my life because before, if things didn't go right, then you only blamed yourself. Been in and out of hospital so many times with different things. One of the surgeons said to me one time, they're always quite cool and calm. I said, well, I'm a Christian and I put my faith in the Lord and he's never let me down and he never will. Army veteran John Arthur tells us how he discovered yoga and the difference it has made to him. I only did the one tour in Northern Ireland. In the year I was there, I think it was the worst year he, he lost a life. It was tough times. It was interspersed with, with great times. I think even before I joined the army, I had a problem with alcohol and, and I liked other substances as well. And by the time I came out the forces, um, yeah, that, that had grown, that developed significantly. And I, I went on for many years, you know, um, alcoholic and, and, and a problematic substance user. But I could always kind of keep a job going. I was a good worker and stuff like that. And I'm right up until I couldn't anymore. When I was just coming up to 40, 
I got into recovery, I went to university, I got an education. So turn that kind of negative, what had been, um, you know, that kind of life into something positive where I was training doctors and, and police officers and, and a whole range of social work and things like that around substance use and, and addiction and recovery. And then about seven years ago, I was at the family doctor and, and had chronic back pain for more than 20 years. He says, have you done yoga? I said, oh, I wasted time. I hated it. Edinburgh Community Yoga came down and did some recovery yoga specifically for working with people um, who were in recovery from addiction. And I absolutely loved it. It was like nothing else I'd ever done before. It wasn't like my Tai Chi. It wasn't like the yoga I'd done in the sports centres where I was the only guy in the class and usually up the back and completely unaware of what people were supposed to be doing or, or whatever. And so, but this was different. It was explained to me and it really hit that part of my brain and, and my spirit. And so I started practising every day. I went to as many classes as I could. A number of things happened. My sister died of an overdose, age 60. Broke my heart. My best mate was diagnosed with cancer. Um, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And my ex-partner had um, topped herself. She had killed herself like, on a very short space of time. And the only thing that really kept me together, that I didn't want to drink, I didn't want to drug again. I knew what that would do. So I kind of buried myself in yoga. What it brought to me was that sense of well-being. And I loved it. And I hear people talking about spirituality. And I've spoken, I've used those words myself in the past. And if if that for me means are raising your spirits, you know, that you enjoy life more, that well-being is, is enhanced and, and you feel happier with your lot in life and stuff like that, then I certainly get that for yoga and the yoga community because it is a community. I did that, went round the world and I kept tapping into community yoga wherever I went, which is different from these kind of, some of these studios which are like, you know, really expensive this was in church halls and community centers everywhere i went around the world I, I tapped into that and uh, i wanted more community yoga i wanted yoga for men because i seen i seen the benefits to me and other men that were taking part and yet it was always seen as a a, a middle class female kind of yummy mummy type thing and and it was absolutely not that uh, that was not my experience now so i was on a mission to learn more and get more men involved. And eventually I ended up in Australia and I was I was at a class and I came out and I was asking the woman, I says, how do we get more men involved? She says, well, we need more men teachers for a start. So go and become a teacher. I went, eh, I'm no good enough. She went, you've just spent an hour and a half in my class. You're good enough, go and do it. And so I kind of, I, I did, and I ended up in India on the way back around the world and uh, spent a month there in intensive boot camp for, for becoming a teacher, and I loved it. And as soon as I came back, um, there was I joined Edinburgh Community Yoga as, a, as one of their teachers, one of the, and, and um, we had been working with the, the Veterans Centre in Edinburgh. So the, the main reasons people come to yoga, I find, are mental health you know they're, they're, they're maybe bothered with stress to the point where it's, it's affecting them mentally physically obviously emotionally 
and they find that the, the exercises that, that we do, you know, the breathing techniques, the meditation, and meditation isn't about sitting clear in your mind, the thoughts, you can't do it, that's not, it's not really possible. It's about getting in touch with yourself and where you are right at this moment in time. And we have a laugh. It's a serious business, but it doesn't have to be somber. And I find that that style kind of gets over and it certainly hits it with the, um, with veterans and, and because it's not about what you can do or what you can do, you know, it's about being you on that particular day. It's down to earth yoga. The feedback has continually been positive. It requires practice. It requires a bit of discipline, uh, but that's much easier when you're part of a group. And that sense of reconnection with, with community and other people is so valuable. I mean, yoga doesn't have to be any kind of religious thing. In fact, it isn't most of the time. Um, but yeah, you can if you want. <laughs> so I suppose that's it, yeah. This conversation was brought to you by Unforgotten Forces, a partnership of leading charities dedicated to boosting the health and well-being of older ex-service men and women in Scotland. Celebration Music is courtesy of Scott Holmes Music.